All right, well, good evening, everybody. We believe here, as you've seen on the screen and other things, we believe everybody was created on purpose and for a purpose, and because of that, everyone matters to God. God's the only one who can put us back together. All right, a couple quick announcements of things coming up. We have a Christmas Eve service that's going to be right here at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve. All right, we're going to do a candlelight service. Um, I'm going to try to get stuff so we can do communion. It's going to be an all-family service. So families can come in, they can worship with us. We're going to have some Christmas tunes going on. Um, we're going to be singing Christmas carols and that type of stuff and just really having a good evening. And then I'm going to give a, a quick message of will I make room for Jesus. And then that Sunday, December 27th, uh, we're going to do a, a Christmas, our, it's going to be a Christmas message um, saying next time will be different. Jesus came as a baby on Christmas. He chose Christmas, but when he comes back, he's coming back as a conquering king. Moving into the new year, I'm really excited about this. You want to share this with your friends. You want to get people invited. It's probably going to start in February. We're going to do a team preaching series on walking through the miracles of Jesus. So I have Sean and, and uh, Linda and Brenda going to teach with me through a series of the miracles of Jesus. And what that means for us. I'm excited where God's taking them on it. And it also gives me a break. And I get, you guys get to hear from different perspectives. So you guys should be excited. Tonight we're going to get into week three of our, our series, um, Coffee Mug Christianity, you know, bringing clarity to some cliches. We've been talking about how the Bible's filled with passages that can be used to encourage, they can be used to correct, and they can be used to challenge us. However, we, however, we often struggle to give context to these passages, and that leads us to ultimately confuse the message. See, it's not enough to just place a verse on a coffee mug if we don't understand it and let it affect our lives, we're missing the point of it. And we've gone through the first couple weeks. Remember, the first week we, we looked at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And how a lot of times we use that phrase and the focus is on me. I can do all things. In fact, we've shortened it even in a lot of places. If you see it, it's I can do all things, dot, dot, dot. And it's not about us at all. It's about Christ working through us. It's about what Christ can do through us when we surrender to Him. We focus on what He's done and what He can do by using us. And so, He's the one who'll do the work. He's the one that does the healing. He's the one that makes the changes, but He wants to use you. And so when we broke that down and we started looking at other places in the Bible, we saw that Paul was beaten. He was thrown in jail. You know, they wanted to stone him. He was shipwrecked. He was stuck at sea. Dude had a hard life. And yet, sitting, he writes that verse out saying, guess what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we looked at it and said, guess what? I may walk through some stuff. Because even when I don't sense his presence, he's still with me. Even when I don't see his hand leading me, he's still guiding and even when I don't understand his plans, he has never given up control. And so we can trust him in everything we do. We talked about how whether that's serving in another country, or whether that's serving at our job, or it's helping someone in the community, Christ's power can enable us to stand firm on his promise and endure life's difficult challenges. And see, I think we need a little bit more of that in our culture today. In endurance of life's circumstances. But it's found only in Christ. And see, we have that hope. That's why we get together. 
But there's a lot of people who aren't here that need that hope, that need Jesus. Last week, we talked about John 3.16, how it can be seen as the gospel or the good news of Jesus in a nutshell. You know, each word broken down can bring so much joy and anticipation. It has so many nuggets of just craziness of the love of God when we break it down and we look at it. Remember I broke it down when I looked at the Strong's Concordance and broke down the, the Greek and stuff and read it and it said, in this way, God, in spite of the rebellion and hostility of the world, he acted and took pleasure in revealing his love to the world by offering his unique son to pay the consequences of that sin in order that all who put their faith in him and his sacrifice will not be destroyed, but can take possession of eternal life. So that verse, I mean, we, we, it just rolls off the tongue. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we've, you know, we've become familiar with it. And what's that old saying? Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. When we come, become familiar with Scripture, we lose the power of what's being said. And so we want, to lean into, we want to lean into Jesus. We want to hear from Jesus. We want to say, guess what? Yes, God, because you loved me despite my brokenness, despite my sin, despite my shame, despite my guilt, despite my anger, despite my animosity towards people despite all that you still loved me enough to send your son to die for me on a cross and all you ask me to do is respond and believe and surrender that's what we have to offer people that's what i get passionate about when people get do you understand there was a man who chose to die for you that you didn't even like because if you liked him, you wouldn't have been sinning the way you were. But as Paul says, you know, how do we know what sin was until the law came? So we can't really call the people who don't know Jesus lost, because how can you be lost when you don't know the way? And in John 14, 6, what does Jesus say he is? He is the way. And so they can't be lost because they don't know the way. So once we introduce them to the way, then we can call them lost, and then we can give them directions to Jesus. It's kind of cool the way that works together, ain't it? Y'all aren't as excited as me. Tonight we're going to dig into another scripture, another verse that I think we use quite a bit when we're going through tough times. You've seen it on cards. It's given out as graduation cards. It's given out as baby cards. It's given out as, as when someone's going through a tough time. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and hope. Now at face value, even in the original Hebrew language, that is a very good translation of what those words meant. But I think by the time we're done today, or tonight, and we start reading the verses around it, we're going to see a very different picture that, guess what, it wasn't never written to you. It was written to the nation of Israel. Now, can it be used for us? Yes, it can be. But I think, again, we, we sometimes like to take those Scriptures and say, okay, see, I'm going through a tough time. So I'm going through a tough time. So God, you said, 
you, you know the plans for me? It's, it's for me to prosper. So I can have a prosperity gospel that if I just claim it, I can have it. You know, I can see you guys smiling and somebody underneath your masks. Guess what? That's where some of the prosperity gospel began with, was with that verse when it was taken out of context. Because here's what happens. Is, is this, this, this verse was written to people who were in exile in Babylon. Their nation was being destroyed. Now, there were four different times it happened. This is the early exiles that were taken to Babylon away. They have this dude named Hananiah, who was another prophet, who was prophesying to the people who were in exile, you will be, God's going to free you in two years. Okay? And so, this is what's going on. And if we jump to verse 4, this is what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent to into exile in, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to, to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not decrease." Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. See, we don't read that part when it says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for you to prosper. They're plans for you to have good things. God wants me to have good... He's writing to people that he said, I sent you into exile. Think about that for a second. We have one or two bad seconds and we're like, God doesn't love me anymore. We take this verse out of context and we believe God will only allow good things to happen to us. Because in it reveals it as a promise of delayed relief to those deep in suffering, not a promise that we will never encounter suffering. We're going to encounter suffering. But can we have hope in that suffering? See, we, we approach this verse as a security blanket. God has a plan for me that is good. So clearly, this suffering I'm going through will end soon, then my flourishing will begin. Now, I'm going to get into it in a, in a second, but I'm, I'm a, if you jump to verse 10 real quick, he said, guess what? You're going to be stuck in this for 70 years. See, if we don't flourish in like 10 minutes, we start wondering what's wrong. They were being told two years by this other false prophet, and Jeremiah says, uh-uh, it's going to be 70. Which means what? A majority of people who were living at that time would never see their home again. They would die before they got there. And some of their children may die before they get there. See, because God never promised the Israelites that they would see the prosperity that he was talking about. Because God sees the end game. We see the now. I'm going to finish my message off with a statement that I'm going to make right now. God's greatest hope, joy, peace, flourishing, and purpose for you is himself. That's what he's seeing. The end game of you spending eternity with him. So he says, guess what? I might need to refine you in some fire 
I may make you walk through some consequences because I need a character in you to become the person I've called you to be. So live where you're at now and prosper. Because that's what he tells them. You're in a foreign country. Because when, we've, when we consider those, these verses around here, the first thing we see God telling the, the people of Israel and telling us, he never told them that they would escape trouble, but he says you will learn to thrive in the midst of it. Think about that. We see trouble as a bad thing. God's saying this trouble you're walking through, you can thrive in it when you lean on me. Because what did he just get through saying? He, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. How many of you guys are all excited about going to work tomorrow? Oh my goodness, you're all excited about going. What if you, this town that you're praying for is your job? You're praying for the town. You're praying for your job that that, that, that company would prosper. How many of y'all do that? Apparently I'm the only one because I want our church to prosper, so I'm praying for this to prosper. Go, I, I challenge you to do that. Pray that your company prospers because God says in the midst of that, when it prospers, you will prosper. See, we think our jobs owe us something. And God's saying, no, I blessed you with that job. You owe that job to me. Because it's his job. He can do it better than we can. And so we see that God is with you in the midst of your trial in that statement. In, in James, or Jeremiah 4, 29, 4 through 7, it says God's going to be with you. When you're, when you're walking through trouble, because thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles who I have sent there. Build homes. Prosper. Take wives. Have families. Don't shrink. Kind of like a picture. Remember Egypt. What happens when, this, when they went to Egypt? Initially, they multiplied, didn't they? They went in there with a small amount of what? Like 70 people and came out million. Because they listened to the Word of God. And they prospered. Jeremiah's point here is this isn't going to take a last-minute miracle and all of a sudden solutions to the problem. Because all you can do for now is make the most of it, but do the best you can, rejoice in the Lord, and keep on going. Don't stop in the midst of troubles. Because again, troubles aren't always the enemy attacking. Troubles are occasionally God refining you. We see in verse 7 also the second thing is pray where you are. Don't wait till you can get somewhere else until you start praying. Pray right where you're at. Seek the peace and prosperity where you're at, and God will bless your surroundings. Because God is telling you if, if your enemies will prosper, you will. Why? Because it now is no longer prosperity isn't about what I can get, it's about what I can give. Because again, we're getting ready to celebrate the greatest gift ever given, and that was Jesus coming to earth. That old saying of it's better to give than receive is true, especially in Christianity. I've received Christ, but it's even better when I can share Him. See, in praying for someone else's success, you may very well find the success that God had planned for you. How many ever thought about it that way? 
that if I can help this person succeed in the process of their success, I may be successful in something I never even saw. It's why I sit at home and I pray for other churches. Because in their success, God's kingdom is built. And in the process of that, God can openly bless us. Because if all I'm asking for is us, I'm missing what God needs to happen. See, so when we pray for someone else's success, we are humbly putting them above us and saying, God, bless this person. Other place in the Bible we see where God says, what to your enemies? Pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Now, we like, or maybe it's just me, I like the whole end of that where it says it's like dumping hot coals on their head. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know why I like that. Um, but it's, it's that thought process that as I pray for those who, who I may not get along with, it's not the person who's changed that I care about, it's me. I'm changed. My situation may not be changed, but I'm changed. And I now know how to handle things. Why? Because I'm not making it about me. I'm praying to the one who has the answers. The third thing we see in, in these verses, when you go to verse 8 and 9, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So the third thing you have to be careful of as we're breaking this verse down in understanding is you've got to beware of the wrong voices. Some well-intending friends once in a while will give you some advice that just isn't right. Again, now remember, they had, they had false prophets that were saying, God's going to take you out of this in two years. Now that sounds a lot better than 70 years. But God's saying, don't listen to them. Remember, I have a plan. It's not your plan. Remember, my ways are high above your ways. My thoughts are high above your thoughts. I have a plan. So don't listen. Take everything you hear, just like the Bereans did when Paul preached. Everything Paul preached to them, we read in Scripture, they said they went back to Scripture and double-checked everything that he said to make sure it was in the Word. Do we do that with Scripture? Because that's what happens when we take one verse out of context. Is we aren't even playing like Bereans anymore, going back and letting Scripture interpret Scripture. We're letting ourselves interpret that Scripture. And so we're listening to our own wrong voices in our head. See, God has a purpose for me to prosper. That's what it says right here. I'm going to claim that Cadillac. I have heard that, so that's why I use that one. I'm like, God never promised you a Cadillac. See, we have to be careful how we look at Scriptures. We have to make sure we're taking everything around it to let it interpret itself. So beware of the wrong voices. The fourth thing we need to, we need to see in, the, in these verses is there's hope in the midst of suffering. Verse 8 and 9 says it this way. I'm sorry, not verse 8 and 9, but verse 10 goes in to say, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. That's verse 10. 
He said, in the midst of 70 years, understand, as you pray for these people, as you, as you seek my face, as you continue to pray for those around you, as you can pr- continue to lift up those around you, as you continue to bless your city, as you continue to serve in your city, you serve in your job, you serve in your family, then after the time is completed, I will show up, I'll visit you, and I'll fulfill my word that I've given you. See, it's about God's timing. Because remember, these words in, in Jeremiah 29, 11 were spoken to a displaced, defeated, depressed group of exiles. These guys were not celebrating when they heard this verse. They were in a city that wasn't theirs, conquered by a King Nebuchadnezzar, and they just weren't having fun, I guarantee it. They probably, well, and it, it, if you read some places, it says their harps and everything were hung in willow trees. They lost their song. How many of you guys have ever had that day where you feel like you just lost your song? It's like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I, I got nothing. And then you think if you just work harder that you're going to find that song again. And God's saying, no, no, slow your roll. Slow down. Because in the midst of this, I can show you hope. And that's where verse 11 comes in. He says, guess what? You might be suffering right now, but understand, for I know the plans I have for you. I know what I can do for you. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. He said, when you understand in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of what you're walking through, we can still celebrate in the fact that God's word and God is always truthful to his word said, guess what? You're not going to face calamity. It's not going to be the end. We can still make it through this and you can still have success. It just may not look like you want it, but it's exactly what I need. Because what hard things might you be going through right now that you can just think of instantly? I mean, look, watch the news for two seconds. Our culture is going through a lot of hard things right now. Do they see the church as a bastion of hope? Or are they missing the fact that we're here to love them because we haven't? Because it's been about, for I know the plans God has for our church. It's a plan for us to prosper. But in our prosperity, it is found when we pray for the people who are not here. When we bless the people who are not here who we come in contact. When we bless our jobs and love them. Then guess what, ha- what had happened? God says, then I can bless you. Because you've done what I've called you to do. You've helped someone else. Jesus said it himself. I came to serve and not be served. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I mean, you look all over Jesus' words. It was all about serving other people in the midst of suffering. Because I can guarantee it wasn't a joyful, happy day going to the cross. That was the greatest day of suffering ever because of the weight of the world was on, every sin in the world was on his shoulders. And in the midst of that, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He never said, guess what? You're going to be prosperous. He goes, but when you die to yourself and come alive in me, you will be more prosperous beyond measure. And it has nothing to do with worldly values. It has everything to do with eternal life. 
The fifth thing we look at as we break the verses down around this is seek God above all because God's never given up control. In verse 12, he says, that, then when you call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purposes. Now, one quick thing as I get ready to finish up here is we need to understand that these promises are made to people who follow Jesus. They're not made for everyone. They're made for us, those who say we believe. Now, somebody comes in and puts their trust in Jesus, that promise now goes to them. But this was written to God's chosen people, Israel. Jeremiah, it wasn't written to the rest of the nations around them. Because God knows the plans he has for us, and ultimately he will give us a glorious future. It's called heaven. But as we walk out our lives on this crazy earth, let's remember that the best growth comes from persevering through trials, not escaping them entirely. Because when we learn per perseverance, we're going to find surprising joy. Here's, here's a, some hope I want to give you tonight is your story doesn't end with struggling and pain. What you're going through right now is not the end of your story. As long as we're drawing breath, God has a purpose and a plan for you. God is always looking down the road. He's always looking to the end. What are the eternal consequences of that action? What will bring eternal separation from God, and is it worth it? I think if a poll was taken that asked the question, when you die, do you want to go to heaven or hell? I'm sure that the overwhelming majority would be they want to go to heaven. Yet, there are not many living that kind of life that will ensure what they desire. They are more concerned with their present pleasure than their eternal destiny. This is where a person often comes into conflict with God, for he is more interested in your eternal destiny than your present comfort and pleasure. Now, that's not famously preached anymore. We like to say we can do whatever we want and just add Jesus to our life and it's all good. But God says, guess what? That's not how it works because my plan for you is to have a hope and a future and that hope and a future is in Christ. And if you want to say you're his disciples, he says, you'll know you're, they're my disciples by, my by their love and you'll know they're my disciples when they obey what I command. God's thoughts concerning you are peace but, he, but most of all, he desires that you can spend eternity with him. And this may require that you need to spend some time in captivity, which may not be very comfortable, but he is looking at the end of it, not the now. God gave his promise, and it will be, it, it'll come true, because that's who he is. He cannot lie. When he says it, it's going to happen. We can stand firm on that promise that though we may not have the desired outcome, it's because God has a plan that goes beyond our thought processes and says, I have a greater purpose. And just like gold must be refined to be pure, 
and more pre- pure and more precious, our lives have to be refined and defined by obedience and repentance. Those two characteristics grow so that there will be peace and our joy comes from walking with Jesus. Because when we walk into the purpose that God ultimately has for us, we understand it's himself. It's not this church. It's about representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about representing a loving Father who sent his Son to die on a cross for all who will come to him. His hope and his future, I truly believe, that ends that 2911 is Jesus. I have a hope and a future for you. The hope is found in Jesus and the future is found in God. And they go hand in hand. To finish off tonight, Paul says in Romans 8, 17 through 18, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if you are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. See, we want the benefits of salvation without the work, without the pain. And that's why I did title tonight's message, There's Purpose in Your Pain. God has a purpose. It says, yet what we suffer now, and this is what my favorite part, is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal later. What you're going through today does not even compare to what God has for you. And that's himself, and that's heaven, and that's eternity with him. And so, again, as we break down these verses, it's not to say that we don't understand them. It's not to say that we're doing something wrong. It's to say God has a greater picture. Expand my vision. Expand my wisdom. Because God says, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask. (laughs) And understand that you may go through some stuff, but God is expecting something in return. I'm going to finish with this statement real quick. And it's, it's not to cause a problem. I think we need to just think of, just, and it, this is, I'm just saying this to get you to think a little bit. We like to say that God's love is unconditional, right? We be, I believe God is love, period. But is his love for me unconditional? He says I have to surrender. He loves me, yes. But my love for him is based on a condition, can I be obedient and can I be repentant? See, God has put conditions on following him. He says in Luke, I think it's 9.29, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me daily. There's a condition on being a disciple. I don't get to choose what that looks like. Jesus has already defined it. And our verse tonight, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans, I know the plans I have for you. God knows the plans he has for you. They're plans for you to prosper, but you may have to die to reach that prosperity. 
And guess what? That is the gospel message, isn't it? We die to self to live for him. Because he is our hope. He is our future. And when we can focus on that, we can start seeing things a little bit differently.